you open up in your Bibles to Esther, and we're continuing there. We're going to be in Esther chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, just raise your hand. We've got extra. We'd love to lend one to you. If you don't have one at home, it's our gift. Please keep it. Um, also, we have pens. So the outline's on page 7. Uh, if you turn there, and uh, we have pens, just raise your hand too. We'll give you a pen, Bible, and... Uh, Oh, if you do get one of those Bibles, uh, we're on page 234, 234 is where we'll be today. Uh, just to remind you, if, if this is your first week here, uh, <clears throat> that, so we're going through the book of Esther and what's going on in this story there. The Jews are in exile. They've been kicked out of the land because they rebelled against God. And uh, they're there, they're assimilating, they're um, becoming like the Persians and uh, so in Persia, the uh, king there, uh, King Ahasuerus, uh, gets mad and deposes his uh, queen, doesn't have a queen, collects all the young women, picks one, and picks Esther, who happens to be a Jew that no one knows. So that's where we are, and we're picking up at chapter 3. So um, I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and they'll pick up with the last ones as we go. So look and, uh, and give your attention to God's perfect word. Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants, who were at the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, so as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, he was a Jew, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots before Haman, day after day. And they cast lots month after month until the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples of, in all the providences of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. And they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as seems good to you. Well, that completes our reading of God's word. Let's pray. Oh God, this is a dark passage. And so, Lord, I know you have purpose in it. You wanted us to read it today. So, Lord, Holy Spirit, carry me, carry their hearts so we would understand why. What you want to teach us today. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, kids, I think 
that all of you have an innate, which means a natural understanding of justice, right? I want, you can say this out loud. I'm going to start a sentence and you finish it, all right? This, you say this to your siblings often, you, or to your parents. You say, that's not, that's right. That's not, see, you all know it. That's not fair. Why? Why do you all know this? Why do we say that's not fair? You, because you are made in the image of God. You know, God is a God of justice. He's, he gives perfect justice. And because we're made in his image, we have a desire to see justice. And when we feel like there isn't justice, we let people know, don't we? But there's, as the thing about adults, what happens when we feel like there's been injustice? Well, oftentimes one of two things. Either we become angry, we're furious, right? That's not right. This shouldn't happen like this. Or we become depressed. Like there's no justice in this world. Everyone gets away with wrong stuff. This chapter is full of injustice. There's a lot of it. We're going to divide our time in this way. Unappreciated for righteousness. Secondly, you see this outline on page seven. Condemned for righteousness. And then finally, where is God? Where is God? All right, let's begin with that first one. Unappreciated for righteousness. If you were here last week, chapter 2 ended. If you weren't, that's fine. I'll tell you what happened. Chapter 2 ended with Mordecai saving the king's life. Amazing. This guy saves his life. And then we know that the king knew it because at the very last verses of the chapter, it says that um, it was written in the king's history with the king right there. And so you would expect chapter 3 to start with about him being honored. Well, someone gets honored, but it's not him. It's this guy named Haman with no reason. So this is not right. If you're Mordecai, you're like, and do I get like a pat on the back, a thank you, anything? I just saved the king's life. Nothing. Can you relate with that? Have you ever in your job had someone else promoted? Like it works half as hard as you do, and they get the promotion. And you're like, this ain't right. It's absolutely not right. Why are they getting the promotion? Or maybe to a little closer to home, some moms, you work hard, you make a nice meal for your family, and what thanks do you get? Oh, do I have to eat this? This looks gross. Unappreciated. It's not right. It's not right. You work really hard. You put, how much work does it take to keep clean clothes on your whole family? And the problem is they make them all dirty again. What thanks you get for that? Hey, I can't find my, where's my favorite sweater? That's the only mention you get. Right? We live in a world where people are often unappreciated. So it happened here with Mordecai. But, it's actually going to get worse for Mordecai. He's not only unappreciated, so secondly, condemned for righteousness. Look at verse 2. It says, And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And remember last week, one of our big words, vocabulary kids, was assimilation, right? Remember to assimilate, like when a, a kid from another country comes into your class, and then over time they speak English, they dress like you, they act like you. That's assimilation. Fine in that sense. Bad when you're with the wrong crowd and you become like them. Remember, that was assimilation. So Mordecai and Esther, last week we saw, they kind of compromised at some points, didn't they? But not anymore. Mordecai is done. He says, I'm drawing the line right here. I will not bow down to this Agagite. I'll come back and explain why that's significant. 
But he is not going to compromise anymore. He takes a stand. So I want to encourage you with this. this. It's hard. If you've been compromising, it's really hard to then make a stand. Because you have this lie in your head. Like, man, I, who am I to, to, I've been doing this already. I mean, okay, let me speak to the, if you're a teen, preteen, young adult, let me speak to you for a moment. If you're compromising, you're doing something you aren't supposed to. There's a whole spectrum from hiding things to cussing with friends to vaping. I mean, boyfriends and girlfriends sleeping together. There's a whole spectrum of things, right? And then to feel like, how am I going to make a stand? Like, how am I going to change? I've been doing wrong, 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 wrong. And there is, it's never, listen, hear me close. It's never too late to stand up for what's right. It's never too late, even if you've been making poor decisions for a long time. Mordecai finally stood up. And so we should celebrate Mordecai's courage. Look at the next verses, verse 3 to 6. Then the king's servants, who were at the king's gate, they see this. They said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman, in order to see... You go tattle, right? You ever done that? Hey, mom said not to do that. Mom! My brother's doing this, right? So that's what they're doing. They go tattle on him up to Haman and say, hey, is, this, is his word going to stand? He's not doing it. But did you notice that? He found he was a Jew. Hey, last week, wasn't he telling um, Esther, don't tell anyone you're a Jew? Now he's owning up to it. He's saying, I'm a Jew. Now that's also significant. I'm going to explain that in a second. All right, so look what it says. So then Haman, when he finds out, finds out he's a Jew, gets so angry, he's furious. What does he do? He says that he didn't want to just destroy Mordecai, that he would destroy all the Jews throughout the whole kingdom. Okay, so some history here will really help you. Some of you don't know who the Agagites are. They're the descents of Agag. Does that help? So, okay, if you were to happen to look in 1 Samuel 15, you don't have to go there now, there's an important story. So God commanded that the Agagites were evil, evil people. They had attacked the um, Jews. They were bad folks. And God had said, he pronounced early judgment on them, right? So we all know at the end of time, there's a judgment day, right? And God will judge evil, wicked people, and they'll go to hell. It's the worst thing ever possible. Sometimes in the Old Testament, there was an early judgment. God told the Jews to go kill people that were evil, wicked, awful people that were attacking them, and, um, and it was early judgment. It was nothing like the judgment day. There, there's a whole, sometime we'll, we'll explain more about what this looks like, but Saul didn't do the job. Saul was not doing his job. He saved King Agag, and he later got killed. But the fact that Haman is an Agagite, we know one thing, they didn't all die, okay? So they, God had, had condemned them, said they're evil, wicked enemies of the living God. And so then Mordecai, who's a Jew, knows all this. Any Jew who reads this, as soon as it says Haman the Agagite, knows exactly what's going on. We aren't Jewish. Most of you aren't. And so I had to explain it. Now you know. So now, there's more significance, right? When he's told, bow down to an Agagite. He's like, no, I'm not going to bow down to an Agagite. Like, they were condemned by God, and Saul didn't do his job, and he got in big trouble because he didn't do his job. I'm not going to bow down to this guy. Make sense, right? So then the Agagite, when he finds out this, you also going to understand why he says, I hate the Jews. Let's wipe them all out, okay? So that's the, the background. Just so you see how crazy this guy is, remember two weeks ago, Brandon preached a great sermon about chapter one. 
So he gets really upset at Vashti. Remember that? The queen? And uh, what does he do? He banishes her. And we're like, oh, he's so evil. He is evil, right? Look at Haman, right? So um, Vashti hurt the king's pride, right? And so Mordecai has hurt Haman's pride. So the king, wicked king, just opposes her. He doesn't say, like, I'm going to annihilate her entire race. He's annihilating the race. Do you see the comparison, how, how much more evil this is? It's crazy. His pride is so big. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe them all out. Last week, we made some comparisons to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? So they, unlike Mordecai and Esther, didn't compromise, right? They, they held their ground. But then what happens? He builds, Nebuchadnezzar builds a big gold idol and says, bow down to this. Kind of similar. You see a parallel? So Mordecai is not bowing down to Haman. They don't bow down. What happens to them? Thrown in the, yes, fiery furnace. You know your Bible stories. And, um, well, think about that. Okay, so here's, and you read that story, you're like, that's so bad. He threw those guys in the fire. But he didn't, like, say, I'm going to annihilate all the Jews, did he? He said, well, I'll kill the three guys that didn't bow down. Do you see how just wicked this is? He's like, I'm going to go so overboard. I'm going to annihilate a whole race because one guy won't bow down to me. There's another parallel I want to pull out of that for you. So here's, so we'll have Daniel and his three friends over here. So they have not compromised at all. And so they're just consistent, right? They said, we won't eat the king's food, and God protected them. Then later, it's now they're being thrown in a fiery furnace, right? So they're just being consistent. Over here, we have Esther and Mordecai. They've kind of been compromising, and finally, Mordecai stands up. Which do you think is harder? Which is harder, to these guys, if they're to be consistent, or to stand up when you haven't been? Kind of going back to my word to the, the young people, I think it's harder. It's harder when you've been compromising. The truth is we've all been compromised on something at some level, right? That's what sanctification, he introduces that word, right? Becoming more holy. And that's, that's my whole life, right? It's your life as a Christian. At some point, God's like, oh, you're really prideful. I didn't realize that. Oh, you have an anger problem. Whatever it is, God's just constantly showing us more sin. And we've been compromising. It's hard. Change is hard. Can I get an amen? Is change hard? It's really hard when you've been sinning all your life. You have some pattern, and then to change. That's exactly what Mordecai did. a boy, Mordecai. You stood up. Look at verse 7. In the first year, which is the month of Nisan, the twelfth year of King Ashuerus, they cast per, that is, cast lots, before Haman day by day, cast it month after month until the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Do you understand what just happened? They're rolling dice to decide when to annihilate the Jews. That's awful, isn't it? I mean, there's like, I was, like, they're so petty. Like, it was, like we roll dice. Kids, when do you roll dice? When you're playing a game. Now we're going to annihilate a whole, a whole nation. This is so wicked. Look at verse 8. Then Haman said to King Ashuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. He's talking about the Jews. Their laws are different from those of every other people. They do not keep the king's laws, so it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. Are you serious? It's full of lies. They don't keep the king's laws. Come on, they're, they're assimilating, right? They not, it's not to your benefit 
to tolerate them? Hey, where'd you get your king, your queen from? She's a Jew. He doesn't know that yet. Who saved your life? It was a Jew. I mean, the Jews had such favor in Persia that Cyrus actually let them go back. They obviously were not this blight on the nation. They, they were very good citizens. So she's just lying about them. Look at that next verse, verse 9. It says, if it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver. You know how much that is? A talent's about 75 pounds. That's 750,000 pounds of silver. It's a lot of silver. That's two-thirds of the annual revenue of all of Persia. All 127 providences. Two-thirds of the annual revenue. And he's going to give it as the bribe to kill the Jews. This guy really hates them. Look at verse 10. So the king took a signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you. The king, the people also to do with them as seems good to you. We see again just the weakness of this king, don't we? He didn't even ask who they were, right? Haman just said, oh, there's some people, and you know, it doesn't matter who they are. Like that is terrible leadership. Right? He's a king. He doesn't even bother to ask or investigate. They investigated when their two guys said they were going to kill him. Well, that was a little closer to home last chapter. But this, he's like, oh, whatever. Here, here's my ring. Yeah, go, go massacre a whole race. Is that good? That's terrible leadership. That last verse there, 11, can be a little bit confusing. Is he taking the money or is he not? The money is given to you. What he's talking about is when, Haman, when you go annihilate all the Jews, you can have all the plunder and the money and repay yourself for some of what you gave me. That's what he means there. So he's still going to take, the king's taking the money. He's not, he's leaving no money on the table. I guarantee you that. Look at verse 12 and 13. All right, so here's the new verses. You haven't heard these yet. Then the king's scribe were summoned on the 13th day of the first month. And an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the providences and to the officials of all the peoples to every providence in its own script, and to every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ashuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by courier to all the king's providences, all 127, with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the Jews. Young and old women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the 13th day of the 12th month. That's tomorrow. It's March 7th. It's March 7th, 473 B.C. This is real history, folks. 400, no, 2,495 years ago tomorrow, all the Jews would have been annihilated. Let that sink in for a second. It's crazy. I mean, this, if this happened, it was going to be worse than the Holocaust. Hitler didn't have control over all the nations the Jews were in. He does. I mean, this goes all the way to Jerusalem. I mean, all the people that actually went back when Cyrus let them, they're still in the Persian Empire, all going to be massacred on one day. It's crazy. Verse 14, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every providence by proclamation to all people to be ready to, for that day to murder everyone. The, cur- the couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. Listen to this next part. The king and, and Haman, they sit down to drink. 
But the, king of Su- the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. You better believe it was. The Jews were well-loved. And everyone finds out. They're all going to be right. These guys are drinking. They're having a drinking party. Again. This is like half the book. They're so wicked. They think they can roll some dice and determine the, uh, the fate of an entire people. They think that. This naturally raises, you know the question that was on every Jew's mind. These three words. Where is God? Where is God? Where is God? We need him. This is the laws of the Medes and the Persians. You remember chapter one? It cannot be repealed. They're cornered. There's no changing this law. His signet ring, it's gone out to all 127 providences. You better believe they're saying, God, where are you? Remember, this is the book that never mentions God, not once in this whole book. And particularly at this point, in this dark night, this question is so important. Has God abandoned us? I mean, put yourself in Mordecai's shoes. I guarantee he's thinking, oh, if my parents just went back to Jerusalem, we wouldn't be in this mess. Right? He's saying, I wouldn't be here. Haman wouldn't know me. I wouldn't have to not bow down to him. Now, because of me, the entire race is going to be annihilated. Right? Talk about a big burden on his shoulders. God, I know that, that we left. We, we shouldn't even be here. We're here because of our sin. I get it. You've abandoned us. We're done for. We've just sinned one too many times. Can't you see the logic of that? How they could go that, yeah, God, we're, it's, we're done. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that, that God's abandoned you? During World War II, I guarantee the European Christians were tempted to say nothing can stop Hitler. God's, God must have abandoned us. Sudanese Christians being persecuted. God must have abandoned us. Muslim Christians, right? Many of them right now, their families disown them. You become a Christian and your life is in danger. Kids, you don't might not know this. But if you're in a Muslim country and your family is, is Muslim and you become a Christian... Your life is in danger. You're running for your life. God, God must have abandoned me. Today, Ukrainian Christians are being tempted to ask that question, aren't they? Has God abandoned us? Can anything stop Putin's war machine? <clears throat> you know, and, and on a smaller level, many of you experience this. Maybe not right now, but this is the way sermons come. You might need this later. Some of you might need this today. So I'm thankful that you get to hear this today. But we all have dark nights, don't we? Times when just everything seems like it's not working. And we feel like, God, have you abandoned me? God doesn't seem near. We read the Bible and it just doesn't seem like he's there. We pray and it feels like it hits the ceiling. Has God abandoned us? So that's some, that's some kind of current modern day things. What about in the Bible? This is one story, right? This is absolutely, and I encourage you, read the whole story, and you're going to find out what God does. It'll help you as we, chapter by chapter, you'll know what's coming. But think about other stories. Is there any other story, Bible story you can think of, where God, everyone feels like God's abandoned, but it's just terrible circumstances? Think for a second. Can you think of any? Let me throw out a few. What about Job? Job had a terrible situation, right? His, all the kids had died, all his stuff was stolen, he was terribly sick. He was really tempted. Would God come through? Think about Israel. Israel is pinned against the Red Sea, right? 
and the Pharaoh's army is coming. And God just waits. Pharaoh's army is getting closer and closer and closer. You guarantee they're like, God, this is it. You've abandoned us. There's tons of stories like this. David, he's, he's um, anointed king, but the king's trying to kill him. For years, he's running for his life. Really, God? Are you really with me? My life is in danger over and over. I mean, there's tons of stories like this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did God save them before the fire? No, they got chucked into that fire. Daniel, did he get saved before the lion's in? No, he got thrown in with the lions. But you know many of these stories. God comes in in the 11th hour, the last minute, and there's this huge rescue, right? The Red Sea, it splits in half. The mouths of the lions are closed. They fall into the fire, they don't get burned. Over and over. David, God preserves his life. Now, why is God doing this? Why does God do this? Does he just, he's like drama? Is this drama for drama's sake? Hollywood does this. Is God like that? Now, why is God doing this? Why will he do it in your life? Here's one answer. Faith. God wants you to trust him. It requires faith. Hebrews 11.1 says what? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Your deliverance is not seen. He wants you to, to trust him. And so, kids, you'll have little problems that you have to trust God with. It's preparing you for bigger problems when you become adults. We all as adults, right? Have any of you not suffered? Have any of you been spared from tragedy? No, we've all suffered. And God is teaching us to trust him. He's teaching us to trust him. He was doing this here as well. For any of you football fans, so uh, you watch old film, right? You watch old games because you want to learn about the other team. Why does God give us old games, so to speak? Why are there so many stories in the Bible? I mean, how much of the Bible is stories? A lot. A lot of it's history. I mean, it's like a history book. I mean, how much of it is just telling stories? Why? Why are there so many stories? There's so many stories because you live in a moment, and this helps zoom us out. You know, we talked maybe a month or two ago, about tunnel vision over and over, right? Right, we get in tunnel vision. This helps us to see a whole story. We're gonna see the story of Esther. You see the story of Pharaoh. You see all these stories. And God was what? Faithful every time, over and over again. And so God gives you stories so that you learn about his character. Okay, so if that's true. Watching old films, right, for football. What about the playbook, right? What's, the, what's in the playbook? All the plays, Right? How, do you, what, what, how are we going to respond to the other team? Is the Bible have anything like a playbook? Is there any playbook in the Bible to walk you by the hand to know how do you respond to this situation or that? What if they blitz? How, what are you going to do? There is a book like that. Do you know what it is? It's called Psalms. Psalms is a collection of songs that lead you by the hand. So in your bulletin, open up and I stuck something in there. You probably all saw it. It's Psalm 22. Look at what the title says. Why have you forsaken me? See, your Bible puts little helpful hints in there, right? So why have you forsaken me? I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read most of the bold. And so I want you this morning, pretend that we're in, in Kiev, okay? We're a Christian church in Kiev. See, I, the reality is all your hearts are there anyway, right? As you've been watching the news, it's been true of me. Our hearts have risen and fallen day after day, watching, thinking, oh, this is awful. And so I want you to put yourself there because you'll need this when you feel like you're going through terrible things. 
So the Christians cry out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, I'm groaning. It feels like you're not listening, God. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Are we, is it okay to talk to God like this? Absolutely, the Psalms teach us. Yet you are holy. See, the psalmist says, David says, God, this is the way I feel, but yet I know that you are holy. You're enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. What's David doing? He's reminding himself of stories. He's saying, I know the story that you've been faithful to your people. And it gave him encouragement. Verse six, but I'm a worm, I'm not a man. I'm scorned by mankind, I'm despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Ah, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, free delights in him. Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near. Aren't these good words? See, you can use these. When you're feeling like you don't know what to say and you feel like God's abandoned you, read the Psalms. Here's one. You have it in your hand, stick it in your Bible, pull it out when you really need it. There's other verses there. Flip over to the back. Verse 18. They divided my garments among them. My clothes they cast lots. For you, O Lord, be not far off. David's being creative here to use language of analogy. Like It's as if they're like casting lots there of my clothes. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Verse 22, I tell, I will tell of your name to my brothers. Now, have his circumstances changed? No. You see, in the Psalms, we see where he starts in despair and just really lays it out there. You see it over and over again. But then he, he says, yet I, I trust you. Yet you've been faithful. I will tell of, of your faithfulness to others. And so it just, it helps carry our hearts. It helps carry hearts. You do this with your children when you're trying to teach them something. You walk them by the hand. And so the Lord walks us by the hand. Do any of those verses sound familiar to you? Do you recognize any? You know, David thought he was just being really creative. He just thought, I'm, I'm just talking about my situation. The Holy Spirit had, it, had another purpose, didn't he? Verse 1. You ever heard that before? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who said that? Jesus. He said on the cross. What about later? He said his clothes were divided by the roll of a dice. That's what happened with Jesus. There's a number of verses in this. They're talking about Jesus. Here's the good news. You will feel like you've been abandoned at times, but there is only one person, only one Christian that has ever been abandoned in all of history. It was Jesus when he's hanging on that cross. God really abandoned him. God really was not close because he was pouring out his wrath on him. Why? Because we're sinners. God abandoned Jesus so he doesn't have to abandon you. He can't. You're now his children. Your parents won't abandon you. Neither will your father in heaven. He never will. Romans 8.32 says this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? The logic there is, if Jesus, if God gave you Jesus, then everything else is small potatoes, right? So when you feel like you're abandoned, you remind yourself, he, Jesus was abandoned for me so that I will never be abandoned. 
Does the logic make sense of, of that verse? It's very, very important to remind yourself of that, to say, I know that God is with me. He can't abandon me. He would, he'd be unfaithful to himself because I've been adopted. My one hope this morning is that you go away remembering. As we've looked at this very dark passage, this dark day, if you go and read the rest of the book, spoil it. It'll be good for your soul of what happens and how God comes through at the 11th hour. He always does. Now, there, will there be Ukrainian Christians that die? Very likely. But he is faithful eternally. You see, our ultimate challenge is not in this life. He rescues many in this life, and some he rescues to his side in heaven. And so we are safe. He generally does it right now, right? All those stories, he did it in time with Pharaoh and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach. But remember what they said. They said, he said, we will not obey you even if we get burned up. We will honor God. And there are people, there are many stories of martyrs, but God never, ever abandons his children. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that's true. Those are not my words, those are yours. It is your character that we are resting our hope on. Lord, thank you. Thank you that it is true. You're going to come through for the Jews, and you're going to come through for us. You're working in Europe right now. We don't know what what it's all going to look like. You worked in World War II. Lord, many have put their hope in you, and they've not been disappointed. I pray even now that in this room, if there is anyone who has not put their hope in you, and if they're hoping anything else, particularly themselves, Lord, help them see it, even children. Lord, that they would understand that they need a Savior. They cannot trust in themselves. Lord, thank you we can trust in you. Thank you that Jesus died. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.